You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Chen. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. So Luke chapter 3, Luke chapter 3 is where we're going to be this morning. I find it very interesting. I don't believe it is a coincidence at all. If you continue to read in Luke chapter 3, if you read in Luke chapter 3 verse 4 and 5, that is the New Testament fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 40 verse 4 and 5, the the verse that the teenagers just memorized. Brother uh, James, is this muted? I don't want to pop everybody. All right, perfect. There we go. Okay, I want to get that, get that out so I can have a little bit more space up here. So let's go ahead and talk about Luke chapter 3. The reason I feel that this is such a fitting portion of Scripture and why I believe the Lord would have me preach this this morning is because during times like these, we are all looking for answers. We have a lot of questions in our mind. Uh, Whether we are a Christian, I I just heard one of my neighbors saying yesterday, and I I know that she is a Christian, and um, I've invited her to church a couple times. I believe they have their own church they go to, but she said something along the lines of, "I, I do not understand how people who do not have the Lord make it through times like this. How, how people who cannot fall back on the trust and the faith that God is in control of everything during times like these. But even when you do know that, even when you do know that God is in control, there are still portions of time when we are looking for answers. And the frustrating thing is, not many people have answers. The ones who say they have the answers the majority of the time are not qualified to give any answers. And then the people who are qualified to give the answers can't agree with each other on what the proper answer is. You hear one thing from the president. You hear then another thing from the doctor that he chose to be a spokesman for him. And then you hear something completely different from the news media all across the board. As Christians, it needs to be our first response to ask, what does God have to say about it all? What is God's answers to the questions that we have right now? What is his direction on this path that we find ourselves? Because it's easy. It's easy to become distracted by all of man's answers and completely ignore God's answers. Answers from the world, if that's what we want to call it, or man's answers are loud, they're boisterous, They're obnoxious. They are numerous. At any given time, we are being bombarded by opinions and information that if we were honest with ourselves, we don't know if it is true or not. And even if it is true at that moment, it could easily change the next moment. We've seen this over and over right now because man's answers are based upon the circumstances. And circumstances change, so their answers must change. Others can swing from opinion to opinion if they would like, but that leads to a very irritating and unstable life that God never intended for us to live. We should be tuning our ears to him. Now, there are certainly times in scripture, times in our life, where I'm sure you could give testimony where God spoke to you in a very still, small voice. Um, maybe times when you went to say something and then you just hear, don't say that. 
or you're about to do something, don't do that. And then we read about in uh, how with, uh, in, in 1 Kings, I believe it is, with, with Elijah, where, uh, the Bible, where God spoke to him in a still, small voice. So yes, God does speak in that way in some instances. But for the most part, when man doesn't know what God has to say about a matter, when man doesn't know what God's answer is to a problem or to a question, it is not because God has not made his answer clear. It is not because he has not spoken loudly enough. It is because we have chosen to listen to man's words rather than God's words. Just as man's opinions uh, scream and cry for our attention. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 1, wisdom, which, which by the way is God's answer to a problem. God's answer to a problem is always based and completely built out of wisdom. And the Bible says that wisdom crieth without. She uttereth her voice in the streets. Listen to what the Bible says about God speaking to man and God wanting to give his answers to mankind in Proverbs chapter 1. She crieth, in verse 21, in the chief place of concourse. This isn't done in a corner. This isn't done in a secret area. This is in the chief place. And she's crying out at the top of her lungs. In the openings of the gates, in the city, she uttereth her words, saying, How long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. That is God's desire. That's wisdom's desire for us to know what to do, to have the proper answers in times like this. But, in verse 24, because I have called and ye refused, I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded, but ye have set it not all my counsel, and would none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear comes. Before we listen to Fox News, before we listen to CNN, before we even listen to the CDC or the WHO, and definitely before we listen to Aunt Bernice's post on Facebook or Uncle Frank's email that ends with send this to 20 people or something bad will happen. We need to listen to what God has to say about the matter. And the reason if I seem a little irritated, if I seem a little frustrated, is because this time has certainly come, has certainly been sent by God for us to turn to Him and not to anybody else. And every single morning that I wake up, I am bombarded with what man has to say, with what man's opinion is about the matter, and I am seeing left and right people flocking to man's opinion that can crumble in an instant rather than turning to God's word. Listen, the Bible has no shortage of material when it comes to what God has to say, when it comes to what God has to, to give an answer to when his people are distressed. I could talk about when the Israelites find themselves at the Red Sea. And he says, fear ye not, stand still and see the, the salvation of the Lord. I can tell you of how he talks to Job. I can tell you of how he talks to Elijah. I can tell you of how he talks to, to his New Testament saints, where he says over and over, when you are in distress, read the Psalms, read the Proverbs, when he says over and over, when you are in distress, you turn to me, because he has the answers. This passage in Luke chapter 3 is in no way the only answer that God has ever given that can apply to what we are going through right now. Think about 2 Chronicles 7.14, uh, that entire chapter really. 
But this answer here in Luke chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, is a wonderful answer indeed. Before we get to what God's answer is, I have to take some time to lay some groundwork. So as we study these two verses here in Luke chapter 3, I first want to point out the timing of it all. Luke is one of the greatest historians this world has ever known. I'm reading a book right now called Evidence, uh, The New Evidence That Demands a Verdict that was actually written by an agnostic, he would call himself, and uh, set out to disprove the Bible and to disprove religion. Uh, but as he was doing it, and as he looked into history and archaeology and science and all of this, he came to be a believer. And many historians, even today, still look back to Luke as one of the greatest historians in history. God uses him to give great detail to show us exactly what time in history this is taking place. So we're going to look into that. Then we're going to look into the conditions of it all. After we see the timing of it all, what are the conditions of it all? What were the circumstances of this time in history? What are God's people going through right now? And then the last part, the, uh, point number three, then we're going to look at God's answer to it all. So if you're taking notes, the timing of it all, the conditions of it all, and God's answer to it all. God is not just a watching God. God is a working God. There is not one aspect of time, not one change in detail that God is not directly involved with. To every single question, he has an answer. And being that Jesus Christ is the same today and yesterday and forever, that tells me, and like he says in Malachi, I am the Lord, I change not. That means his answer to what is happening in Luke chapter 3 is going to be his answer today. And I see a lot of similarities between what's going on here and what's going on now. So let's look at the timing of it all. And what is the word that Luke begins with in chapter 3? Now he begins with. It's easy to just skip over that word, just to, not to put emphasis on it, but I encourage you to circle that word. Circle that word now in your Bible, chapter 3 of Luke, verse 1. One of the reasons we can know that the Bible is true is because of how specific it is regarding history. If any name given in the Bible, if any date referenced, any city or any nation mentioned in Scripture were ever shown to be fabricated or mistaken, the integrity of Scripture would be severely tainted. Now, the easy way to avoid that extra scrutiny would be not to give specifics. But Luke goes on to give eight specific names of people, five specific names of places, after he says this word, now. Now is when these people were in power. Now is when they held their power over these specific places. And Luke does this intentionally. God wants us to know the exact point in time. So let's talk about these people. Name number one, Tiberius Caesar. In Luke chapter 2, we see that Caesar Augustus is in power. Luke chapter 3, Tiberius Caesar now in power. Tiberius Caesar was Caesar Augustus's stepson, and he became his successor on August 19th of 14 AD. This being the 15th year of his reign, making this time in history 29 AD. Very important for us to know. Name number two, Pontius Pilate. 
And not only that, but it says Pontius Pilate is the governor or he is the procurator of Judea. Many have tried to argue against the Bible's validity, against the Bible's accuracy, because there was no proof that Pilate ever governed at all, let alone govern Judea at this time, as Luke says. But if you look it up right now, in 1961, just recently here, Italian archaeologists, uh, archaeologists uncovered a stone. And on the stone was inscribed these words, Tiberium, Pontius Pilate, Prefect of Judea. Tiberium was a city built by Herod Antipas in honor of Tiberius Caesar. So once again, the Bible's attackers are silenced. How about the name number three? Herod, the Tetrarch of Galilee. Well, this Herod is Herod Antipas, the one that we just mentioned, the one who built that tribute city to Tiberius. Name number four, Philip, the Tetrarch of Ituria and Trachonitis. Also known as Herod Philip, uh, there appeared to be two Herod Philips in history, and that's why God gives the cities that he was overseeing to bring distinction between the two. Name number five, Lysanias, the Tetrarch of Abilene. He's one uh, who governed just north of Herod Philip's jurisdiction. Names six and seven, Annas and Caiaphas, the high priests. And then name number eight, which is John, the son of Zacharias, who of course we know is John the Baptist. Well, why is all of this important? Why is God giving us this extra detail through Luke? Well, not only, again, does it point to the openness and honesty of Scripture to be so specific, but further than that, knowing who is in power at this time is also going to give us tremendous insight into the conditions of the time. We can take the information that we know about who is in power and translate that into understanding more about the circumstances of everything that is happening, especially with God's people. Tiberius Caesar was an able leader, but he was a very unwilling leader. It was no secret that his father-in-law, uh, or his stepfather rather, uh, Caesar Augustus, did not trust him. He didn't trust him. He didn't like him. Uh, but being that Caesar Augustus had no true son to be his heir, Tiberius Caesar took over. So knowing that Augustus Caesar did not trust him, Tiberius Caesar set off on a mission to prove himself. And he tried that by basically um, patterning all of his policies, all of his decision-making processes off of Caesar Augustus. If I just follow him and he was a good leader, then I will be a good leader as well. But as time goes on, it became very clear Tiberius Caesar did not like his position. He no longer wanted his position. And in fact, three years before this took place in AD 26, he actually leaves Rome. And when he leaves Rome, he leaves behind the majority of his authority. That sounds kind of funny. The majority of his authority to other people. He leaves it behind to men who were well known for their cruelty and lack of moral principles. One of these men is Pontius Pilate. One historian described Pontius Pilate with these words, inflexible, merciless, and obstinate. Another one used these words, proud, hot-tempered, and childish. 
There are stories that I can give you right now about Pilate. There, when he first became governor of Judea, he came into the, the province and he noticed there were no images to Caesar. Now, the reason that this happened is because Jerusalem was considered uh, from the Jews a holy city and they had worked it out with the Roman uh, authorities before uh, Tiberius Caesar came into power that there would be no images of Caesar. Pontius Pilate didn't like that. And in fact, you're going to see a pattern with Pontius Pilate, with Herod Philip, with um, Herod Antipas, and with Lysanias. All of these men are doing whatever they can to get in good with Tiberius Caesar. If they get in good with Tiberius Caesar, they keep their power. If they make him mad, they lose their power. So when Pontius Pilate comes into Judea and he notices that there is no images of Caesar, he takes a little objection to that. And in the night, he comes into Jerusalem and the Jews wake up in the morning and they see images of Caesar everywhere. In fact, there's flags of him, there's statues of him pointing straight towards the temple. Of course, the Jews take this as a very large affront to their religion, to, to their beliefs, and to their God. This led to a week of arguments where the Jews picketed um, before Pontius Pilate's um, headquarters, if you will. On that last day, the, the seventh day, um, that they were doing all of this protesting, Pontius Pilate ordered all of his men to surround these Jewish protesters. And he said, if you do not leave, I'm cutting off all of your heads. I'm beheading all of you. There were men, women, and children there. It says that the uh, history tells us that the elders laid their necks bare in front of him and said, we would rather die than see images of Caesar here in our city taking away from the holiness of our God. And when he saw that, he actually relented, but he did not change his attitude. During his reign, again, he wanted to um, make things better for himself. He wanted to build an aqueduct that led into Judea. Well, he didn't have the funds to do so. So he stormed into the temple and raided the temple treasury, uh, what the Bible refers to as, as the Corbin, uh, Jesus talks about at one point. He raids the temple treasury and he instructs all of his soldiers to deal with any of the protesters that come. And of course, protesters do come. Now what he did is he told his soldiers not to dress in uniform, but to dress in civilian garb and to have whips with them, unbeknownst to him, so, so he says, they not only took whips, but they took daggers and they took swords. And when Pilate gave the signal to deal with the protesters, they began to beat those protesters and just the, just the bystanders as well. And then they started to stab them and kill them. And in the riot of it all, thousands of people died, especially Jews from the stabbings, from the beatings and being trampled by the crowd. Luke chapter 13 tells of a time when Pilate murdered a group of Galilean worshipers and then he took their blood and mingled it with the blood of their sacrifices. This is beside all that we know about Pilate and what he did with Jesus the Lord and, and many more stories that we can tell that history shares about him. Let's talk about the Herods. So Herod the Great is the one who murdered all of the babies in Babylon trying to kill Jesus. Now, he's not mentioned in this chapter, but it's important to understand who we're dealing with, the family that we're dealing with. First of all, they're, they're from the descendants of Edom. So we obviously know how, the, how God's people are going to feel about being ruled by Edomite people. But Herod the Great, 
um, dies in Luke uh, or in Matthew chapter five. Uh, it makes reference to that. And his son, Herod Archelaus, takes over after him. And his son, Herod Archelaus, is just the same, if not more so, despicable as his father, Herod the Great. And that's why the Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 22, when Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, finds out that Herod Archelaus is in power back in Judea, the Bible says he was afraid to go back to Judea. He didn't want to deal with Herod Archelaus. Herod Archelaus is, um, at, at one point, he murdered 3,000 worshipers in the temple and he declared a, a cancellation of the Passover feast. His cruelty became so severe that Caesar himself banished him from his position uh, to, to Vienna, Italy, and divided his jurisdiction to the three men that Luke names in verse 1 here, Herod Antipas, Herod Philip, and Lysanias. All three of these men were also known for their corruption and moral degradation. This is the political situation when Luke gives the word now. Let's talk about the religious conditions. Well, let's make it simple. There's only supposed to be one high priest, and right now there's two. Both Annas and Caiaphas exercising authority over an office that God said was only supposed to be given to one. One preacher said about this, the mention of these two corrupt high priests reminds us that the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders of the day, were more interested in power politics than in serving the Lord. John 19, 15 gives proof of this. When the chief priests at Jesus' trial, under the leadership of the high priests, say to Pontius Pilate, we have no king but Caesar. That is the religious condition when Luke says the word now. So let me ask you, what words would you use to describe what is happening at the moment? As I study this time in history, as I studied these men, one word kept coming up in my mind, dark. It was a dark time, a time when people, like today, I believe, were looking for answers but not finding any. And now, God says, I'm going to give my answer. Now, God says, when the government is corrupt, now, God says, when the spiritual leaders are more concerned with helping themselves rather than helping their people, time out. I'm, I am very appreciative of a lot of things that are happening with our government right now. I am not trying to make apples to apples comparison of the government here to the government now. But I will tell you this, our government has not been what it is supposed to be for a very long time. When our government tells us it is okay to take God out of the schools, it is okay to teach children from a very young age, not about the Lord, not about his hand in everything, teach them about evolution, teach them about abortion, teach them about sex education, fill their minds with sin and immorality and, and all of the worldly philosophies and don't say one word about God because we don't want to offend anybody. Our government is not what it is supposed to be. I, there are many religious leaders who take a stand and who want to do what's right and who will lay their, their lives on the line literally to make sure that God's truth is stood, uh, stands and, and that people can understand what God has to say about the matter. But many are compromising right now. 
Many are stepping down from what they have been taught. Many are showing they care more about fleecing the sheep than feeding the sheep. And that's a problem. Now God says, when all of that is happening in Luke chapter 3, now is when I'm going to give my answer. Now God says, when the priests are more concerned with pleasing the powers that be, rather than pleasing Almighty God. Now, God says, when the people of the world are caught in the middle with nowhere else to turn, now, God says, I will give my answer in the end of verse 2. And look, look what it is in the end of verse 2. Send better politicians. No, even though that, that would be nice. Send world peace. No, that's not what it is at all. Punish those corrupt preachers. He will he will, whether in this life or the next, but that was not his answer. Destroy the Roman Empire. Bring it down so that we can have God's kingdom here on earth. That's what they thought Jesus was there to do. But no, that was not his answer. The answer, the word of God came unto John. Send a preacher, God said. Make straight the way of the Lord. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Tell people about Jesus. That is my answer to the darkness of what is happening now. When people are in darkness, what do they search for? When you get up in the middle of the night because you're thirsty, because you ate a pizza at 1130 and you know you shouldn't have, and now you're thirsty, you get up and you don't want to stub your toe. How does the big toe always find the one inch thick leg of the coffee table? How does that always happen? So because you want to avoid that, what do you do? You search for a light you turn on a light when God's people, when the world is in darkness, God says, give them a light. God intentionally gives the timing of it all to show us the conditions of it all so that we can see today, thousands of years later, in God's mind, there is no better time to give the gospel. There is no better time to speak about Jesus. There's no better time to sing about him. There's no better time to point people to him than when the world is in darkness. John chapter 1, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. John is gone, but his mission is still ongoing, Christian. Jesus is in heaven, but his light must continue to shine. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them, not the eyes of them, the minds of them. Everybody sees what is happening right now, but they cannot comprehend that God is behind it. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. Heritage Baptist Church, hear me. There are people all around us who are stumbling in the darkness. And God's answer to it all is nothing but the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. That light does not belong to the government. That light does not belong to false religions. That light does not belong to cults. That light does not belong to charities. It does not belong to educational institutions or website blogs. It belongs to Christians. It belongs to the church. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Awake to righteousness and sin not, Paul says to the Corinthians, for some have not the knowledge of God. 
and I speak that to your shame, he said. If there is anybody here in Corpus Christi, in Texas, we could even say the world at this point, when we have the capabilities that we have right now, if there is anybody who has never heard of the gospel, that's on us. God has given his answer. What should we do right now when the world is in such darkness? Turn the light on. Bear witness of the light that has always been and will always be God's answer to it all. Listen to me, my friend. If you are maybe a guest, a visitor watching, and you've never heard a message like this before, Jesus is who you need. It's not what do I need right now. It's not what is the answer. Who is the answer? Who do you need? If you have been running from him, be honest with yourself. How's that been going for you? Return to him today. Stop putting it off. If you've never found Jesus before, he's not hiding from you. He never did anything in a corner. He never did it to a specific group of people and said nobody else at all. He opened it up for everybody when he said it is finished on the cross. If you've never found him, you can find him today. Stop trusting in everything that you are doing. Stop believing the lie that you don't need him. We are all born in the darkness of sin. And the answer to that darkness is Jesus Christ. You have a choice right now. This life is a choice. And here's your choice. We can either have sin and walk in darkness. And if we die, if you die in your sin, you will spend eternity in hell. A place of fire, a place of brimstone, a place where not one ray of light will ever shine through. A place of eternal darkness. I hear people mocking hell. People saying that it's going to be a big party there. That their friends are going to be there. That maybe they'll be there just for a little bit until they pay for their sins and then they'll spend eternity with the Lord. That's not how it works. Read your Bible. If you have any questions about it, let me know. I will be more than happy. I will take any time that it needs to show you what the Bible has to say about hell. It's not a party. It's not fun. It's not a place that has fake fire. It is literal fire, burning fire, screaming, wailing, gnashing of teeth, where people who have not turned to the Lord burn for all of eternity. But that's not the worst part. The worst part about hell is not the fire. The worst part about hell is not the screaming and the wailing and the gnashing of teeth and the pain. The worst part about hell is going to be separation from God. You do not have to spend eternity that way. But that's our choice. That's one, we can have our sin and walk in darkness. Or we can trust in Jesus and walk in the light. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. If you die and go to hell, it is not going to be because nobody warned you. It's not going to be because Jesus didn't love you. It's not going to be even because of all the things that you did. It's going to be because of the one thing that you refused to do. There is something that condemns a soul to eternity in hell. This is the condemnation. John 3 says, this is the condemnation. That light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. I'll end with this. We're running into an issue right now with supply and demand. Now, there's not an issue really with supply. There's an issue with demand. 
<laughs> if people would just take a step back, we would be all right. The, everything, would, everything would be full, there would be water, there would be toilet paper, not bathroom paper. I got ribbed for that, man. I'm glad that people are listening to the services though. Toilet paper, there would be hand sanitizer, there would be all of that. But we have all run into issues before where the demand overcame the supply. So let's talk about that. There seems to be this idea that God is love and therefore he always will be love. That is true. That God is gracious and therefore he will always be gracious. Yes. That God is merciful and therefore he will always be merciful. Yes. But not always to the individual that continually rejects him. He says, my spirit shall not always strive with man. So when I hear people say, I'll get right with God on my deathbed. Sir, who's to say you'll have a deathbed? Ma'am, who's to say you'll have a deathbed? I know of a young girl at 20 years old, full of health and life, who fell down the stairs and never woke up again. Now she was saved and she's in heaven today because she trusted in Jesus. But if she wasn't, and if she was holding on to that part, to that point where when the time comes, I'll make the decision. Listen, the supply of God's grace, the supply of God's love, the supply of God's mercy will never run out. Praise God for that. But it is not subject to man's demand. We cannot look at him when God calls to us and says, come to me now. Listen to me now. Turn to me now. We cannot expect man to look to Almighty God and say, I'll call you when I want you. The Bible says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Turn unto him while he is near. There may be a time, friend, where he is not near. Where he has called to you for the last time. You can know today that you are going to heaven we are all sinners. Our sin has separated us from God. We cannot take that sin to heaven with us. Heaven is a perfect place. God is a holy God. We would be consumed in an instant if we set foot into the boundary of heaven with our sin. The sin has to be dealt with. We can either pay for it ourselves and we can pay for it in eternity in hell. Not purgatory, not for a short amount of time, but for eternity it takes. Sir, ma'am, teenager, young person, even children, one time to sin against a holy God would take an eternity to pay for. Or we can trust the Lord when he says, I will pay for your sin. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, that's anybody, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.